I got hired June 1st, and Dobby, I didn't even make it 24 hours, and I was fired on June 2nd, the day of my birthday. The goal is to still make great radio. Put in the time, do the work. I associated laughing with radio, and that's kind of why I always wanted to be a part of it. In this business, we forget just how great it is. This is the Off Mic Podcast, a radio show about radio life. This week on the show, it's Poncho Parker from 105.3 Rock. Have we ever actually physically met? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think I've mostly just been kind of like following your trail for the last little bit. We have worked at at least two stations together. So, of course, The Goat and now City. That's right. Yeah. How many years have you been in radio? I got started, what did I, I got out of radio school 2005. January 2005 was my first gig in a building. What were you doing before that? Going to radio school and before that working at a gas station in Hay River in the Northwest Territories. I've been to Hay River. Have you? Well, I worked in Peace River and they had a repeater in high level. And of course, that's just a few hours from the border. And I wanted to say I was in the Northwest Territories. Radio sure is a small world, isn't it? It's wild, man. Like... Some of the some of the places I've worked, uh, you know, like working in uh, Smithers up in northern British Columbia, BC. Yeah, and it's the kind of place where like they're literally offering me the job, and I'm googling where it is in the same conversation. But then you get out of there and you talk to people, and you're like, oh, I, yeah, I worked up in Smithers. Oh, I got family in Smithers. I've been to Smithers. I worked in Terrace or whatever it is. Like it's just crazy how interconnected the whole thing really is when you break it down it's a huge country and yet it doesn't take long before you speak with people in the radio industry that have either known each other or worked in the same well you and i are a perfect example did you take the gig in smithers oh yeah yeah i worked there for just over a year i bet those are some of the most defining years of just not your radio career but of your life as well Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I've moved back there, to be honest. I've, I've talked about that uh, with people before about like, because we all have an expiry date of some sort and doing the on-air thing. Like when the time comes, sure. if I wanted to move into something like programming, I would move back to a place like Smithers in a heartbeat to take a PD job if the pay was okay, just to be able to like work with that next generation and make sure they got the same like cool start that I did. Isn't that incredible? I've been fortunate enough to give air checks and to see the up-and-comers grow and they still have that excitement and it feeds me it inspires me to continue to do what i want to do but man you got to start somewhere i got fired from my first radio job on my birthday oh, no. <laughs> i got hired june 1st and dobby i didn't even make it 24 hours and i was fired on june 2nd the day of my birthday after i left winnipeg on a greyhound bus when I had two garbage bags of clothes, hawked everything else in my little bachelor apartment to go there for a practicum only to get hired and then fired within a day. I mean... What did you do? Well, believe it or not, the sports director there, he took pity on me and he got me hired back until the fall on a hourly basis. And by then, I was fortunate enough to get myself a full-time gig working evenings but i i was the general sales manager went to the owner and said you gotta fire this parker guy he is the worst announcer i have ever heard and they did and then years later i would work with that general sales manager and he said uh might have been wrong so So like what did you do an on-air shift he heard it and was just like oh this is bad yeah i was on air 30 seconds a day i did the grain prices and you know like wheat is up 40 cents a bushel and you know hogs are down and 
But I was living the life, man. I mean, I was on air. I was living the dream, and I was terrified and anxious. And I'm still anxious when I open up that mic, just not as anxious. And, of course, as you know, when you're doing a practicum, that means you're doing everything and you're not getting paid for any of it. That's kind of what I like about this story is like you say you got fired one day into your practicum and then they brought you back on as an hourly employee. So kind of worked out for you that you went there to work for free and they were like, nope, we will pay you a little bit. I was incredibly fortunate, but I also did something. So it was a 12 week practicum. And I don't know about you, man, but I mean, I can't live for nothing for three months. So I told the station it was only a six week practicum that they had changed some of the rules at the <laughs> fly by night radio college I went to. <laughs> So they phoned down there and they just happened to get a hold of a college professor that I would go drinking with. We would both skip class. He would teach the damn thing. He picked up the phone and he picked up on what they were saying and he said, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just a six week practicum now. So man, did he save my ass. So which which radio school did you go to? You said it was a, one of the fly-by-night ones. It was uh, Robertson Career College right in Winnipeg, and you had to do a, a demo, but they would take anybody, and it was $1,000 a month, and that was back in 1999. So that was a lot of scratch. Damn. And what I learned was the English language all over again, and what I learned more than anything, it was about contacts. It was about the instructors at the college who had contacts in the radio world, and you had to do a lot of finger crossing, and, and fortunately, I, I crossed everything, so it's worked out for me so far. What made you want to go to this $1,000 a month radio school in the first place? I didn't want to go to a two-year program, or a three-year <laughs> program, or a four-year program. I'm somewhat of a lazy man. If there's an easy way out, to, I didn't even graduate. I didn't even get my diploma or whatever it is that you're supposed to have to work in radio. I just really lucked out by getting my 12-week into a six-week practicum, getting hired, fired on my birthday, and you know, and then ultimately that would take me to Canada's border city in Lloydminster, where you and I both spent time at the GOAT. You know, it's funny though, and this is not a knock on radio schools. Everybody who's interested in, in radio should really look into schools near wherever they are because like you said, you make these contacts, you meet these people, you do get some of the basics, but I don't know that there's a diploma worth less in terms of the actual printed piece of paper. Like if you ever walked into a, a, a programmer's office or a GM's office, and seen a radio and television arts diploma on the wall. I don't think that's a thing. No, I, I, I almost think it's law that you can't hang up whatever. <laughs> that's a really good point. You know, those are replaced by rock and roll posters, and I'm okay with that too. When was it that you first got the idea you would even want to be in radio, though? I was a truck driver. And I was traveling all kinds of miles up and down the blacktop, listening to all of these radio stations. And I grew up absolutely loving music, I mean, specifically rock. I, I grew up listening to my parents' vinyl records, and I scratched the crap out of them. I didn't know how to look after them. <laughs> so there I am, up and down Canada in my uh, Peterbilt. And Dolby, I didn't want to be 80 years old going, I could have done that, I should have done that. If only. It was about not having any regrets. And that's when I said, well, if I can put myself through radio college and give it a shot and see what happens at the end of the day, if it works out, great. And if not, well, damn it, I can say at least, you know, I tried. 
and then I would have figured something else out to do, I guess. So you go to the Robertson School, you, you pay the, that's an incredible amount of money to pay, but you pay it, you get through it, you, you go through immediate hardships. What was the, the station you did your uh, somewhat internship at? Oh, YL Country, 780-610-3610, welcome to Tradio. <laughs> Tradio is just not the best. You, I mean, your first job, what were the call letters? I know you remember uh, you know, we it was uh, so it was Smithers, Northern British Columbia. So they were the peak BVLD. There was they they had so many repeaters throughout all of them. I wish I had the the same recall as you do for your first gig, but I just remember we were we were the peak serving the Bulkley Valley, playing anything we feel like. Which even looking back, yeah. it's like what what we feel like. We're just telling the we don't give a shit what you want. This we're just gonna play what we want, and you're gonna be okay with it. <laughs> And you can't do that anymore. No. And that's really too bad. I mean, at one point, radio music was an amazing way of expressing the announcer's personality. But I mean, I played a lot of country music, and one of the first lessons I learned at my first radio gig was do your homework. I once remember introducing a song from Tracy Bird going, hey, this is brand new stuff. She sounds amazing. Of course, I didn't know Tracy was a guy. (laughs) Uh, So I lost all of my rep right there. But one of my favorite things on Wild Country was hosting the, everybody has one in AM radio, the, the Tradio show. Oh, yeah. And it was just, you know, I mean, I remember one guy wanted to trade his 81 Chevette bumper for a whole bunch of bunnies for Easter. It was just bizarre. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think it's those moments when you're cutting your teeth in radio that, you know, really define who you become as an announcer and in what way you might want to take your radio career yeah i guess before before i was on air i was i was working in production at team 1260 so we didn't have you know we didn't have tradio or anything like that but answering and taking calls and screening callers for sports talk radio feels sure. about as absurd as someone wanting to trade a bumper for an animal so yeah everybody's got to have that first step that lets you know just how absurd radio can be so that you can appreciate it when it's good. <laughs> and I think I came to appreciate the listeners more than anything. What do you love most about radio? Oh, the conversation, 100%. Like, when, yeah. if, you, if you can go on the air and, and do a, a perfect, well-crafted, well-thought-out, right-to-time bit, and you just, oh, man, technically proficient. I had such good lines and bits. And, and then nobody calls, or you post it on Facebook, and nobody comments or even hits the like button. You get no retweets or shares, and you go... Who the fuck did I just do that for? It's a little defeating, isn't it? Yeah. And then you'll talk about how you had your KD with a dirty fork and the phones <laughs> will light up. I saw a radio host once uh, post uh, on Facebook. No, no pictures, no graphics, no nothing. Just a text post on the station Facebook page. How do you spread your mustard on your sandwich? And I don't, it got, I think, 80 likes, about 150 comments dozens of shares and i just looked at that and i said i'm i'm trying too hard i'm I, it was a, it was a literal yeah. revelation for me in my career I, i'm trying too hard to come up with all these wild convoluted ideas and videos and everything else this guy just asked how you fucking spread mustard on a sandwich and it's it's viral <laughs> but you know what it's relatable i mean every single one of us have 
done that. I mean, 20, 25, 30 years ago, radio was all about the shocking material. And now it's just about looking around us and, and making things interesting. And you have a very good point. And if, if you can take spreading mustard on the radio and make it engaging, which you've obviously done, <laughs> well done, you know. Were you ever a shock jock? Where, how long did it take you to, to hone your skills? Are you still honing your skills? Oh, absolutely. I don't think, I think if anybody tells you that they're not, they're either winding their way down or, or they probably shouldn't have the, the slot that they have. I think if you're not constantly listening back to your shows and analyzing your breaks and saying, okay, this could have been tighter, this could have been better, there's a better angle we could have taken on this topic, whatever the case yeah. might be so that you can do a better show the next day, then you're doing yourself and your audience and your stick a disservice. So I, I think we're all honing our, our stuff. I don't think I ever was a shock jock in that I never I never sat down and, and wrote out a break or wrote out a bit or came up with an idea for the sole purpose of this is gonna get people riled up. This is gonna make people angry or this is going to, to have people uh, you know shocked at what I would say. But I, I do think that I've always been, and I owe this to my mom, my mom's always been much to the detriment of her government career, very open with her thoughts and feelings, and she passed that down to me. So I've never had any problem going on the radio and saying exactly what I thought about a situation, whether it was to call someone out about something or to point out something that I thought was great. So I've definitely, I've been referred to as a shock jock on occasion early in my career. Because I would go on and do a rant about something that I that bothered me. Sure. Over the time, uh, actually, it was a guy Christian Hall sort of sat me down one day and was like, "You know, if you yell every break of every show, people tune it out. It doesn't have the impact anymore. If you yell one break in a month or in six months, it stands out, and you you make your point much more significantly. And I, I've taken that to heart and tried to, to to tune it back and have more regular conversations." and only get up on the old soapbox from time to time. Well, for sure. It's like if you use the F-bomb all the time, if it's fuck this and fuck that, and all of your sentences, it loses its power. But if you only roll it out every once in a while, I, I, it really stands out. And I completely agree with you about uh, the breaks. I'm still looking for that perfect radio break, and I don't know if I'll ever have it. Because you're also right, you always want to improve. And that's the one thing that I've been trying to focus on is not yell out every break you know have normal conversations about mustard and and the whatnot is there anything that you won't talk on the radio i try not to get too religious as an example yeah i find that religion is a line that i'm not super willing to approach just because you know i'm not a religious person myself it's not something that that speaks to me but i've never found harm in other people having it as whatever it is right a, a comfort a crutch whatever you might call it if it's making people happy then you know what kind of piece of shit would you have to be to go on the radio and then start decrying other people's religions or 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 mocking their beliefs you know, we're, we're given a, a seat of power somewhat here when, when we're allowed to go on these airwaves and, and speak to large groups of people. And I, I just think to use that as a, as a bully soapbox to go on and be like, bye, your God's dumb. Eh, that kind of feels gross, you know? Yeah. And religion is very divisive, much like politics. That's one thing I've stated, especially this year, almost impossible to stay away from it. However, I found, and look, all I have to say is politics, and you and I both know what kind of politics we're talking about, don't we? There's a, there's a certain shade of orange that comes to mind immediately. It's odd. Right? This is so polarizing. 
regardless of, of what side you take, I don't think anybody's been able to convince anybody of switching sides or thinking of doing something different. So that's one of the reasons why I won't talk politics, because no matter how I express it, I think it's going to get people angry. And that was the other thing. I, I like it when people think, but I, I, another reason I would learn this years later being in radio is that there's so much cynicism and negativity all around us, Dolby. I mean, the internet is a perfect example. Social media, and when you read the news, there's a lot of doom and gloom. And, and the one thing I always wanted to do on the radio show was keep it light, not necessarily frothy and, and foamy, but maybe to provide a distraction of all the shit that's happening in the world and in everybody's lives because everybody's got something that's going on that they don't want to deal with and it's tough because you know they, they'll teach you from rate to from radio school to every pd you have that when you go on the air you want to be talking about what everybody's talking about because they want to hear from you that's the that's the most interesting thing in the world and, and right now the two biggest things that everyone is talking about is politics and that's whether it be canadian or american because both sides mm. are just different kinds of messes or yeah the, the the pandemic and and i don't know about you myself and my co-host brock when the pandemic started we said like okay you know what? we're gonna go on and when there's relevant information in terms of like health orders and things of that yeah. nature obviously we're going to talk because we want to make sure that people have the information that's going to keep them safe and we're we're going to eventually talk about some topics that are side avenues from the pandemic but we never wanted to be that show especially when the lockdowns were in full effect across the country and everything we never wanted to be that show where you would tune in and we're on from three to seven and buckle up because here comes four hours of reminding you how fucking depressing the world is right now so you know like we tried to stay away from that and i'm gonna guess just from how you sort of describe what you aim for in your show that it's similar with you incredibly similar but you're right you have to talk about it at least in some respect to not talk about it the cliche the elephant in the room because you know everybody is mentioning it and i would always take the same approach we would always take the same approach cassie and myself we would get the numbers out we would be very serious about that because you need to keep everybody safe and as you mentioned we started to take a few side avenues relating to it as in what kind of home renos did you get done because everybody's spending a lot more time at home have you loved your family more or do you can't stand them anymore <laughs> things because of covid so i think you're still keeping it relevant but not nearly as as heavy and freaking depressing you're covid adjacent yeah perfect perfect that's exactly what it is so that said you have to, I guess you don't have to, but I know you remain positive when you host your show. Do you find it tough? Has it been tougher this year because of the pandemic? Oh, for sure. There's days where like, you, you know, you, you go on and every radio instructor always told you they can hear you smile. So you smile while you're talking and yeah, you get done your thing and you're like, there's 50 new cases in Winnipeg today and we're all going to wear masks and it's going to, it's hopefully going to get better. And you just turn the mic off. You, oh, Jesus! It's exhausting. It's defeating sometimes. It's it's emotionally emptying. I ran into a a program director, and he taught me something in, incredible that's forever lasted with me. And he said, "Tasha, you're human. It's okay to have a bad fucking day and talk about it because you know what? Everybody has bad days or a bad week or a bad month. You know, he made sure he said, no, don't go on there and preach doom and gloom because after a while, nobody's going to listen to you. 
Which is right. I mean, nobody wants negative people consistently on their own personal world. Why would they want to hear that on the radio? But he said, it's, it's okay. If you're angry, be angry. If you're sad, be sad. If you're confused about something, if you're depressed about something, people can relate. And I, I think it's in, incredibly moving when you have listeners phone in and sharing their true feelings with you. I came from a, a pro wrestling background at some point, too. And, and one thing that was explained to me in that world was that to make an audience care about you, you have to, what they call, show your ass. And that's when you're a good guy, you show your ass by getting beat up every now and again, right? You're not invincible. You're not a Superman. When you're a bad guy, you show your ass by the, letting the good guy get a hold of you because otherwise you're just this untouchable, annoying figure. And then instead of getting the elicited response, you're just you're turning off the audience. And I think in radio, to show your ass is to show that you're just like the people who are listening to the show you're human like there's nobody out there that's going through all these politics and all these wars and all these uh, crime and poverty and everything else and now a pandemic on the fucking top of it all there's no one out there sitting like ned flanders in springfield just having a hidey ho day so yeah to go on the air and to talk about like here's a thing that happened to me and it sucked it it can sound like maybe you're trying to fish for sympathy or you're trying to woe is me but i think more of what it is if it's done right and it's done sparingly like you don't want to do it like you said every day every break but when you do it right the people at home they, they listen and you go from now you you're not just this bearded badass motorcycle rock dj you're a human you have shitty thursdays too sometimes just like they do and 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 then you can make that move from being this mythic voice that's coming out of a speaker box to being someone's someone's friend someone's compadre someone's companion through their day and and i think that just makes that bond all of a sudden now they're more willing to call they're more willing to text they're gonna follow you on your social media and they they care about what's going on in your world and and if you can share it back to them then you make that bond even stronger that's when i have those peak moments of radio that's when i step back from the mic and go fuck that felt good you know because you made a connection and i think it makes you even more relatable and you're right you're a person you're not a number uh listeners know that you give a shit and you know that they give a shit about what it is that you're talking about and probably there isn't a feeling like it in the world when you can relate to your listeners i feel like you'll agree with me that in my career, in my experience, one of the best places in terms of being able to relate to an audience and, and in having them return that interest was working in Lloyd Minster when you were there at the GOAT. Wow, the GOAT was one of a kind. I was incredibly fortunate, and you were too, to be there for their golden days. The listeners, man, did they care about the GOAT. And I know it's because there was an amazing lineup of radio announcers that all could relate in their own personal way. And I think there was something that the on-air staff appealed to about every kind of person that walks this world. Well, that and we were everywhere. Sure, we were heard, but you had to be seen. I think that's just as important in radio these days is, is the physical presence even in terms of being on social media. Oh, for sure. Like, I, I know social media was really just starting to kick when I was at the GOAT. So we, you know, we were posting stuff to Facebook. We were getting some response there. Twitter, not so much. Lloyd, at the time anyway, wasn't a big Twitter town sure. or an Instagram place. But we could still reach out to them. But man, the phone lines, like you could go on. When I was doing the morning breath there, you could go on and, and you could get a topic going. 
and and you could take calls on on one topic for a full hour because people would call in and they'd want to have their say and then you'd play a couple on the air and then people would be like no that guy's an idiot or i agree with that guy and then they want to have their say and like you almost had to to shut it down and and i haven't had and, and i don't know maybe i just haven't had that kind of success but i haven't had that kind of reaction on the phones at any station since i left lloyd it's been crazy and Lloydminster is a small, small city, 25 or 26,000 people. So to have that kind of response, I think it says a lot about the radio station as a whole. And obviously you were getting those kind of reactions. So, I mean, you definitely <laughs> knew what you were doing and, and then some. You said the goat's morning press. So that's, I don't know, what time do you get up now? And did you miss getting up at 3.30 in the morning? I, I'll never miss getting up at 3.30 in the morning. I miss doing a morning show because there's a certain feeling about doing a morning show your your audience is very loyal because you're a very intricate part of their day you know because you're getting up and they're getting up and neither of you want to fucking be awake at, at three or four or six in the morning but you're there and you're getting through it together so the, the audience on a morning show if you're a good morning show is fiercely loyal and you see it anytime a morning show gets blown out when that station's facebook becomes a cesspool for the next three weeks of demanding the return of that show that was such an important part of their day and of their lives so i miss doing a morning show but you know i I got two kids so they wake me up at seven now anyway so i don't sleep in that much longer that's the one thing well and you can appreciate this being a dad is that when you did work mornings you go to bed super early and i always felt in that respect that i was missing out i guess on a part of my social life but then you become a parent and fuck you don't have a social life anymore (laughs) i mean it's nice to be able to pick up the kids from school but i mean when you do have alone time i mean jesus to stay up past 10 p.m on a friday night i mean what the fuck happened man i mean we used to (laughs) party till four or five in the morning get up four or five in the afternoon and you couldn't even make your 3 p.m air check because you were hung over and passed out in somebody's (laughs) living room and you had no idea how you got there in the first fucking place going to bed at 7 30 p.m after a caesar salad for supper and you couldn't eat the hamburger because it gives you a fucking heartburn (laughs) what happened you know i went to bed at 10 30 on sunday and i gotta tell you it was the best thing i've done for myself in a long time it felt real good and that's the other thing you feel good you're like yeah i can't wait to go to bed at 7 30 it's gonna be awesome But I remember that when I was doing mornings, like I remember, you know, my wife and I, we would have people over and they would come over like after dinner. So say seven, seven thirty, maybe even eight o'clock and you know, okay, well I'll, I'll push it. I'll stay up till nine or nine thirty tonight. But there was times where I'd be like, okay, well y'all have fun. Uh, just, you know, try to keep it down. I I'm going to go to sleep and you go lay in bed you go, what the fuck? Yeah. I've, I've done that as well. And so it's always nice when I get invited somewhere else as opposed to having company over because you can just leave when you want to leave. Yeah, you don't have to play that awkward game of escorting people like, hey, you know what would be really cool? If you put your fucking shoes on and got out of my house. Yeah, you keep looking at your wrist, right? Because you're standing (laughs) and you're not even wearing a watch and they just don't pick up on on the social cues. Yeah, I'm fine. Just get the fuck out already. <laughs> I mean, you know I get up at 3 in the morning. Hey, it's Grant with Pippin Technical Service. A bit of a history lesson today. In the late 90s, Greg Shea, the chief technology officer at Telos Alliance, and his team developed audio over IP for broadcast. There were many who said it couldn't be done. Over 20 years and 10,000 studios later, well, there were obviously others who saw the vision. And now... 
there are those who are celebrating it. Later this October, Greg will be awarded a Technical Emmy Award for contributions to the television industry. What began as an idea and was proven possible over the last 20 years by radio is a building block of the new format chosen by the film and TV industries for IP delivery, AES-67 and SMPTE 2110. Welcome to the future. Congratulations to Greg and his team. At Pippin Technical, we're proud to have grasped the vision and been part of that team since almost day one. We're the Canadian distributor and authorized repair center for Axia Audio north of the border. And the rest of the Telos Alliance catalog too. Pippin Technical Service. We build broadcast. When you're out in the public eye, Dolby, and, and you're with your wife, you get recognized everywhere you go. How does your wife react to it? Uh, you know, she always found it to be pretty flattering when when uh, she yeah. she would get recognized, too, every now and again. Dalby is a pretty unique last name over here, anyway. You know, if we were in Scotland, it'd be a lot easier to, to pass, but, you know, when she would tell people that her name was Nicole Dalby, she would get recognized, oh, like, Drew Dalby? And she sure. always thought it was sure. she always thought it was neat but i always found too in in it, it only really happened in regina and in uh in lloyd minster like it happened in smithers but it happened in smithers more because there's like eight people that live there so you just knew everybody that wasn't so much you're the guy from the radio you know i found that in in regina and lloyd people were pretty respectful you know like maybe they'd come over for a for a handshake or a dap or a high five or something yeah. or just to tell you like Hey, like I, I really like your show, or or something like that. I, I never had to deal with anybody coming up to me and being like, "Hey, are you are you that Dolby guy from the radio? You're a real piece of shit." You know, <laughs> I was lucky to avoid that because I think that might have uh, had a different impact on the family if that had happened. It hurts when you hear stuff like that, and you just wonder where the hell did this come from? I mean, I would never in a million years say that to anybody especially somebody I didn't know, but maybe it goes back to the fact that, you know, your your listeners become your friends and, and, and vice versa, and they feel so strongly about something that you said. Maybe, or maybe they just don't like you. Who, who knows, man? And then, conversely, uh, this happened last weekend. Uh, my kid had a birthday, so she had a few girls in the backyard, and when the party was over, uh, the one set of parents sent their neighbors their neighbors listen to our station all the time and he just wanted to meet me so it was really fucking weird <laughs> to have this guy who knew me and i didn't know him show up in my backyard at my daughter's birthday party and that pissed me off a little bit about minding your own space and being respectful it is hard to draw the line with what we do because again we want to be invited into your home on a daily basis. We want you to take us yeah. with you to work, take us with you in the car. If you're not near your radio, you've got a phone, grab the app, download Radio Player Canada, listen to us on the go. So we, we you know, have to come across so, so inviting and so welcoming and all that stuff. And then, you, you know, the natural progression is, well, I have this ability, you know, I know where you live or I know where you work or I know someone that yeah. you know. And, you know, they, they sometimes people don't understand that there has to be a boundary between your work life and your personal life. Like you'd never go get your taxes done and then be like, you know what? Bob got me a great refund. I'm just going to swing by his house and say hi to him and his wife and kids. Well, and this guy, he expected to be entertained. He just stands there and looks at you going, make me smile, make me laugh. <laughs> 
It's like when you have a friend who's a comedian and, and you know, you're all at a party and you're all having beers and you're like, hey, Jeff, Jeff, why don't you give us a quick tight five here? Like, no, I'm not working right now. It doesn't work that way. And you know what, Dolby? I felt guilty because I didn't engage him. And likewise, if I'm out in public, if I'm at my favorite patio having my favorite pint, you know, with my girl or a couple of friends and somebody wants to come up like you, I'm, I'm flattered. I really appreciate that. But uh, that's just that's just almost downright creepy. I've come home and there's been stuff on my front door from listeners. And I have no idea. Yeah how they know where I live. Harley Davidson riding boots. I used to collect velvet paintings and I don't know how many times I would come home and there would be velvet paintings on my front doorstep. I mean, don't get me wrong. I wore the damn boots and I hung up the velvet art. <laughs> <laughs> but the fact that they knew that, so it's very bittersweet. Again, it's nice to be appreciated and, and thought of in that sense, but at the same time, I mean, you know me, but you don't know me, you know? And I always tell myself, well, who the fuck am I to say, you know what, I'm not working right now, so can you just leave me be? I mean, if that's the worst part of being a radio announcer, well then, Jesus, I've got to put myself in, in, in check when I get those feelings every once in a while. Sam, I, you know, there's sometimes where, like, you're at a concert or something like that, and, and you're into the band, you're, you're having yeah. a good time. You've done your obligations, right? You've introduced the band or you've interviewed the band or whatever. Your work obligations are finished, and now you're just like anybody else in that building. Except maybe you didn't pay for your ticket, but that's whatever. That's a different story. You're just like anybody else in that building. And then someone comes up to you and they want to talk to you. And for them, this is as big of a moment yeah. as maybe as it was for you to be back there interviewing the band. They get you one-on-one, -on -one, face to face, to ask questions, to yeah. learn about what they want to know, to, to just to sit, shake your hand. And it, 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 sometimes, you know, you go, fuck, man, this is like my favorite song. Can you just fuck off for a second? But you have to stop yourself. You have to and realize what an honor it is to be in a position like that. Because, I mean, when we started off in radio, holy fuck, if the, the first time that happened, mind blown. And I don't know what happens, but the longer you work in radio, it almost becomes a point of where, oh, again? So I never <laughs> want to be that, ah, oh, again, guy. I want to be that, ah, oh, again, guy. I imagine you do get recognized a fair amount you have a very uh you know recognizable look to you you're you're a big deal in medicine hat what is it that took you from lloyd and i know there was uh it wasn't straight lloyd to medicine hat but what took you along that journey well first of all thank you for the incredibly kind words i left the goat to become program director of a smaller goat up in cold lake and everything from the setting up of the building to the ordering of the furniture to the hiring of the staff to creating every single fucking liner <laughs> and id i knew music mastered inside and out and i could run it in my dreams and it was amazing to be the part of a launch of a station it's something i'll i'll never forget and i wasn't there for long you're right i was only there for about nine months and i got a call from Jason Manning down here in Medicine Hat, who was launching a rock station, and he asked if I would be a part of it. And it was it was my gut, it was my instinct. I said maybe I should listen to my instincts this time. And so, ultimately, it was a last minute decision. I said, yeah, yeah, let's do this. And it's interesting that on your map of life or in your radio career, you're like, ah, oh, I'd like to go here, 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 and here. Medicine Hat was was never on that map. And with the exception of growing up in my hometown, 
I have never lived anywhere longer than I have here in the gas city. You're right. It's so funny how that happens. Like even I remember when I got my job at the GOAT, the GM at the time was a guy named Doug Doug Zakodnik. I'm sure he was there during your era. Hey, that's the son of a bitch who fired me from my first (laughs) job in Peace River. That suddenly makes so much more sense. That's hilarious. What a small world. What a small world. And you know what? Doug and I, we get along really well these days. Great so you're dude. at the goat with Doug, dealing with Doug. And he tells me, you know, we're, we're really excited to have you. We're happy to have you on the team. We, we're ready for great things from you. But, uh, you know, we know how it works here. If you're here longer than two years, it probably means we made a bad hiring decision. Because everybody who's getting good gets out of here in two years. And I remember three years that later... Still being at that station, going, I fucked up. What if, what if, what have I done? <laughs> First of all, that's a great Doug Zakonic impression. Thank you. I thought I was talking to. I was thought I was talking to the real guy right there. Did he really make you feel like? I mean, I was four years at the go. Well, and I, I don't know. Like, I think he was just trying to pump my tires. I think he was just trying to say, like, we think you're so good that sure. you're not going to be here for very long. But the unintended side effect of that was that after that two year period. And you know, because we're all fucking head cases in this industry, the doubts start to creep in of like, well, why am I not in Edmonton or Calgary or Winnipeg or Regina or all these things? But that said, you know, you you get over that and you just keep powering through or maybe you talk to somebody, you get some help and you get your head on a little straighter. But my four years in Lloyd Minster, I never intended to be there longer than two because I was told that I shouldn't be there longer than two. And my four years in Lloyd Minster were fantastic they were delightful i enjoyed every one of them and i met amazing people both in that station and and in that city and and it's it is funny how yeah when i went to nate's in edmonton if they'd have said well you're gonna go to an incredibly remote community in northern british columbia and then you're gonna live in regina or well you're gonna live in lloyd and then regina and winnipeg i would have been like what a fucking whirlwind that is but here we are and every stop you know, I mean, I'm brand new in Winnipeg, two months in a pandemic, so I, I'm not even really sure if I live here yet. But no. other than this, like every stop along the way has been somewhere I never thought I would live and has been somewhere that I have enjoyed so much that I would go back in the right circumstance. Yeah, I mean, I likewise, I never thought Peace River or Cold Lake or Lloydman, definitely not Medicine Hat. And when I did move here, I'm like, and again, I was told, you know what? You'll be here for a year and a half, two years. You'll be gone. And 12 years later, not only am I still in Medicine Hat, I'm thoroughly enjoying it. And you know what's crazy? I've, I've had opportunities to work in bigger markets. But, I mean, the quality of life, the personal aspect comes into it. I mean, I became a dad in Medicine Hat, and then I got divorced in Medicine Hat. And a huge part of that is because I want to stay here, and I put down roots after 12 years. Now, should the right opportunity, say, to be able to actually physically work with you under the same roof happen again? Well, shit, yeah, man. I, you know, I mean, that's the wonderful thing about radio. You never know what's going to happen, what opportunity is going to be presented to you one day from the next. One day you're hired, 24 hours later you're fired (laughs) on your birthday. Well, I'm glad you brought this up because this is something that I wanted to ask you about because in Canadian radio, you specifically you are an anomaly when it comes to syndication i would say 99.9 percent 
of syndicated shows in this country come from bigger markets to smaller markets. Toronto to Winnipeg, Edmonton to Lethbridge, whatever the case might be, Vancouver to here, Seattle to Ottawa, it doesn't matter. You are doing a, a, a track show in Winnipeg here on 92 and City from Medicine Hat. Yeah. You're going the other way, which A, is a huge testament to your ability as a broadcaster. But I, yeah, I, I, 90% of the time, if someone is doing 105.3 Rock and 92.1 City, they're in Winnipeg casting to Medicine Hat. You're going the other way. How did that come about? I, well, I believe it or not, I've been working with City. I want to say, God, at least for three, four years, and City has always been my dream job. So to to be a part of the team and to be able to do it from Medicine Hat, I am absolutely blown away. As you know, City and, and 105.3 Rock both owned by Rogers. So I would say that definitely helped. And it definitely helped that, I mean, Winnipeg was my stomping grounds. I mean, I was a banker on McPhillips at a Cinnaboyne credit union. I mean, Winnipeg is where I got thrown out of my first bar. So there's always <laughs> been a lot of connection for me in Winnipeg. And I go back there a lot. And I think it was just the luck of the draw, Dolby. I, I was offered an opportunity. They went over a couple of different voices within the internal circle of announcers. And for whatever reason, they decided that they would like to hire me for, well, it started uh, evenings. And then they put me all over the place, middays, drive for a little while. And, and then I think I'm, I, I shouldn't say I think I'm on Monday to Friday, <laughs> 9 to mid and Saturdays from 11 to 3. And, uh, you know, just to be able to relate to a few you know, city listeners again is an absolute dream come true. That's a, that's a tough question, man. I don't know how fortunate I was to be able to land such a gig. And like you said, to host it for Medicine Hat in a smaller market where normally it's the other way around. But I mean, the magic of radio is, is so cool. You got mail the other day. I, I opened the door and there was a delivery guy there, handed me a bunch of packages. Your name was on one of them. Like people, people really think you're here. It was a book, by the way. We opened and what, it. What, it was a book. What was it? Old Winnipeg. It actually was kind of hilarious. So it, it was some uh, book company it was making a book, and it was a, a picture book, a coffee table kind of book with with classic pictures of Winnipeg from from back back in the day. And this must have been a discussion between the station and the publisher that happened a significant amount of time ago because the first package was addressed to the PD that hasn't been there in a couple of years, uh, Craig. Sure. And then the oh, next no, one... Craig Pfeiffer, yep. Yeah, the next one was addressed to Phil Aubrey. Hasn't been there uh, in quite some time. Five packages, uh, zero current employees. And the note to the PD said, as we discussed, here are some promo copies of our book, Old Winnipeg. <laughs> I'm getting mail. That's awesome. Well, next time I roll through River City, man, I, I'm stopping by to add to my library. Because I, I do have a thing for history. Kind of like, you know, what a degree in history. What do you, It's the same thing as a degree in broadcasting, I think. And that's the <laughs> next thing that I want is a degree in history. Does it count if you get a velvet painting of your radio diploma? Can you then put that on the wall? Oh, hell, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was actually... Do you know who Bob Ross is? Speaking of paintings... I saw your your recent Twitter spree of, of Bob Ross appreciation tweets, and I just want you to know that his birthday is this month, and I'm sure you already know that, but we should all do something was, for Bob Ross. I was gonna bring that up. I can't believe that you know the master, you know the master of relaxation's birthday. Yeah, so Bob Ross, just in case he 
tall, lean guy dressed in denim had an afro, and he spoke in a very soft, soothing voice, and he would paint masterpieces in about 22 minutes. So I don't know, he did it for like 20-some years on PBS, and so for the first time ever, there was a Bob Ross art exhibit, except it was in Penticton, B.C. So I hopped on my bike, and I just leisurely took my way there, and I think the trip was as fun as it was. Dolly, I waited in line to get into the Bob Ross art exhibit for more than an hour. I'm in my mid-40s, and I was by far the youngest guy there <laughs> by, I would say, about 50 years. <laughs> you know what I could appreciate, though, is because you might have been the youngest person in the line to go to a Bob Ross art exhibit, but the man still lives on through all these other avenues, and it's uh, one of the avenues yeah. that's something that uh, radio is starting, you're seeing to gravitate towards, especially in the States, with uh, sports talk and regular talk radio is uh, Twitch, live streaming on Twitch. And that's really where I've known Bob Ross since I was a kid because you'd see him on TV. But where I really rediscovered Bob Ross was there is a channel twitch.tv slash Bob Ross. I just pulled it up as we're talking to make sure it still exists. And they'll do 24 and 48 hour marathons of old episodes of Bob Ross painting. And they get thousands, hundreds of thousands of people who tune in on live stream on the internet to still enjoy the man painting. Isn't that, you know, and I think he went off air back in 1994, 1995, and he has had one of the longest running TV series of all time. That's the power of Bob Ross. Now, that said, I'm, I'm not into paintings. I, I know very little of the work that he's done, but I, I just love watching him work. I wanted to ask you this as well. When you're not in radio, what's, what's your other pastimes? What do you do? when you're at home. Well, I mean, you know, and you could probably identify with this uh, for at least the last year since my wife passed. It's really my other passion has been being a dad, you know, like being home and, and spending as much time as I can with the kids and, and hanging out with them. But 9, 930 comes every day and I get them to go to sleep as best you can. And then for me, you know, it's I find that my passions don't settle in one place. Sometimes I am absolutely obsessed with uh, playing a video game and that's what I'll do. But sometimes I just want to watch a movie. Sometimes I, I convince myself I'm going to learn coding and build a website or set up a, a room in my house for live streaming or work on a podcast. Yeah. You know, I, I just don't, I, I hope to grow up one day and settle and focus in on one thing. But at this time, I just don't feel like, I, I feel like I, I want to do everything, you know? Never grow up. You're a renaissance man. That's what you are, right? Because you got different interests in all kinds of aspects of your life. That's a good thing. Forever be curious. You know, have your channels running wide. It's good to have some of those channels running deep, but I mean, to forever learn. It's kind of like our radio shows, you know. You always want to improve on your show, just like we always want to improve on our life. It, it, it always makes me a little sad when you run into people and there's a lot of us that don't live they exist they get up they go to work they come home uh shampoo rinse and repeat and there's so much more living out there and i i just wish there was some way that you could turn on a switch because once you realize that wow it changes your life forever and it sounds you sounds like you've definitely found that part of your life I've never been referred to as a renaissance man before. I have been referred to as being built like men in renaissance era paintings before. 
That's about that's the, about the closest. Well, you got to get yourself a personalized license plate, man, Mr. Renaissance. <laughs> Poncho, as, as we wind down here, I want to thank you for your time, but sure. You've 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 said like you're you're so happy in in Medicine Hat and you've built a life for yourself there. And if the right opportunity comes, then maybe you could see yourself moving on somewhere else. But in reality, in in, in all realism, what do you think is is next on the docket for yourself? My daughter's going to be a lot more independent in three years. My ex and I have talked about this extensively. We have an amazing relationship. I'm incredibly blessed in that respect. And my daughter and I um, see each other every day, and we're as close as close can be. But as she grows independent, ultimately, I, I got my eyes on City. I want to move back to Tova. That's where my family is, and I have so many amazing memories in Winnipeg, and that's where I want to spend the rest of my quality days, working for <laughs> working for my dream job, and hopefully, maybe actually working with you side by side. That would be fantastic, and who knows, maybe then you could do a syndicated show back in Medicine Hat. <laughs> <laughs> I would I would love to. I mean, the quality of life I have here in the Gas City, I'm so incredibly fortunate, and I think, well, we both are. It's here we are doing something that we love and just to be able to to do that is rare i was saying it to somebody the other day i said there's two levels of of thankful when you work in radio is a you know here we got radio schools from coast to coast to coast pumping out 30 sure. to 50 to 100 kids a year into this industry at a time when the jobs are dwindling so a you are are trained and talented enough to be in radio be thankful for that. But beyond that, in these times where where budgets are shrinking and day parts are disappearing and, and all these other things, we're also not yeah. only in the industry and capable of being in the industry, but we're gainfully employed in the industry. And that is something to smile about before bed every night. I completely agree. I, I'm thankful for it. That's what gets me up at 3.30 in the morning because whoever said you get used to it, <laughs> fucking full of shit. Biggest man. lie in business, 100%. <laughs> they are those <laughs> bastards. Bobby, I, I can't believe you reached out to me, man. This really means a lot. Thank you so much for being, well, being a part of, you know, Off the Mic. This has been the Off Mic Podcast, brought to you by Pippin Technical. Tune in next week for more great stories from more great broadcasters. Follow the show on social media. Search Off Mic Podcast on Facebook or on Twitter and tell us who you want to hear on the show. I'm Drew Dalby. Thanks for listening.